0: All right, we dropped the game a little bit. All right, uh, good evening. We're going to um, talk about Christmas tonight. Leon's already introduced Christmas, which is super exciting. Okay, um, I don't know about you, but for heaps of people, a Christmas tradition is watching a Christmas movie. Uh, Every year you'll sit down with the same people and watch the same movie Year after year after year after year, right? So for some people, I was at Neil and Magella's yesterday uh, And they have six Christmas movies They had bought out the pile of Blu-rays Some people still use like physical discs, right? Uh, Blu-rays, six movies that they watch every single year at Christmas It's pretty cool uh, I know Katie Bosler has been loving the new uh, romantic ones on Netflix That you probably see when they pop up and you're like, I'm not going to watch those, they look rubbish Katie loves them, uh, she's watched all of them uh, So if you need any reviews, she'll be able to help you out um, What about you? Does anyone here have any Christmas movie traditions? Shout them out Tell me what you and your friends or family watch every Christmas A Wiggly Christmas Elf, yes, classic Home Alone Home Alone, Home Alone. Die Hard Good, yes controversial, isn't it? The Grinch. The Grinch. That's a good one. Claws. Anyone else? A Christmas Carol. Yeah. Are we missing my favorite? Hey, Christmas Vacation. Yeah, that too. That's not my favorite. Yeah, yeah. The Chevy Chase National Lampoon's. Oh, what was that? Someone said they were a good one. Yes, love. Actually, thank you, Robin. Yeah, that's my favorite. Um, uh, sorry? Bushfire Moon. That's appropriate, but I've never heard of it as a Christmas movie. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, pardon my ignorance of Australian movies. I'll have to watch that one. Thank you, Kerry. All right, I'm going to, just for a bit of fun, get you thinking about uh, Christmas movies. We're going to play Christmas movie charades, okay? And you have to tell me uh, what these movies are. Uh, actually, all of them were just mentioned, so it narrows it down, Right, right? First one... Uh, Yeah, home alone. Good, good. You know what? When I was a kid, people used to tell me all the time that I looked like Macaulay Culkin. Um, And what's funny is my wife, Jackie, as a kid, always had a massive crush on Macaulay Culkin as well. Seriously. And so what she did, she obviously went on to Wish.com and ordered Macaulay Culkin. And I'm what, uh, rocked up in the mail one day. But if you've seen Macaulay Culkin these days, she actually made the right choice, I think. Um, I think I've aged a bit better than uh, Macaulay Culkin. Okay. Here's the next one. Uh, Die Hard, very good. (laughs) I was hoping someone would get that. Uh, All right, what else have I got? Love Actually, yeah, that's an easy one. And this one's not a charade. I couldn't think to act it out, so I'll just say it like... You did it! Congratulations! The world's best coffee! Elf! Elf yes, good. Alright. Well done, guys. Uh, that's all I got. Okay, So, it's those dramatic scenes in Christmas movies that, are, that actually get us, right? It's those it's over, overly dramatic scenes where really cool, exciting things happen. And like I said before, my favourite, Love Actually, I watch it every year. I went to put it on the other night and I got a message from my mum saying, Guess what, me and your father are watching Love Actually. And so I didn't watch it because I don't want to be like mum. But Love Actually is is this beautiful movie. It's full of hope and it's full of love. And and hope and love are displayed in dramatic ways in this movie, aren't they? So you think of the hope displayed, uh, watching the love-struck little boy running through the airport gates to uh, pledge his undying love for Claudia Schiffer's daughter, right? Or uh, maybe the hope of the man moving to America thinking that his British accent We'll get him heaps of chicks. Uh, Or, yeah, hope and hope time and time again. But about love. Love in that movie is pretty profound, isn't it? Right right from the opening scene, uh, the wedding, when that uh, choir and the horn section pop up and and play All You Need Is Love, Uh, the cue cards that I did before, uh, diving into the cold lake to, to collect the manuscript of that really bad book, or even seeing Colin Firth Doing his awkward British man run through the cobbled streets to confess his love to this woman in broken Portuguese. And then seeing the, the Prime Minister passionately kissing one of his staff at a Christmas kids performance, right? But can't imagine that without Prime Minister. Or even like uh, a, the the awkwardly glorious man hug between an aging rocker and his manager, right? Love, all through that movie. We all love a good cry at love actually at Christmas time. Or maybe it's just me. I don't know. But tonight, we're going to have a look at the original Christmas story. And we're going to look at stories of love and hope uh, from that. Dramatic acts of love and hope that we see in the original Christmas story. uh, The story about Jesus. And we're going to look at that story. We're going to look at three different stories, right? Three stories uh, based around three characters. And we're going to be inspired by the love and hope of the real Christmas story. So story number one. Story number one is this. The Song of Hope. The Song of Hope. I want you to discuss with the people around you. I'll give you like one minute to do this. I want you to discuss what is something that you're really looking forward to this Christmas. Three days time. What are you really looking forward to? Go. For a minute. All right. What are you looking forward to most about Christmas? Santa. Yes. Good hearing. Thank you. What else? Food. P- presents. of course. Cool presents. Toy presents. Lots of presents. Sorry? Toy Story 4 characters. Cool. I hope Santa heard that. Uh, Good. Presents, toys, friends, eating. Sorry? Seeing family members. That's nice, isn't it? Sydney, was your hand up? Grandparents as well. Yes. How special is that? This year you get to see your grandparents for Christmas. Good. So, yes. Going on holidays. How good are holidays? That's right. Well, every year at Christmas, you look forward to something. You look forward to Christmas and whatever happens on Christmas Day. But before the first Christmas, these people were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and anticipating and looking forward to the first Christmas, the birth of Jesus, where God would come to earth, right? And this is where our first story, the Song of Hope, is set Over 2,000 years ago, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a young woman called Mary. And one day an angel came up to Mary uh, and told her that she was going to have a baby. And this is pretty scary. uh, But but this baby's name would be Jesus, and he would be God's son, and he would be the saviour of the world. Now, I'm going to continue this story, but I need someone to help me be Mary. So I've asked Lily to be Mary for me. Uh, uh, Welcome Lily on the stage. And the reason why I've asked Lily uh, is because, remarkably, the age of Mary, uh, when she found out she was going to give birth to the Son of God, was probably similar to Lily's age, right? So just let that sit with you for a sec. Mary was a young teenager uh, when she was told by an angel that she was going to have God's Son. And it makes the words she says even more profound, right? So all this sounded super strange to Mary, and uh, who asked the angel...
1: How can this happen? I am not married.
0: It's a good question. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come down to you and God's power will come over you. Nothing is impossible for God. So, super brave, Mary said,
1: I am the Lord's servant. Let it happen as you have said.
0: It's pretty amazing, isn't it? For a young teenage girl, and knowing that this was a big deal, uh, that this pregnancy at a young age, not being married, could get her in some sort of trouble, she, she ran off. Uh, she ran off to go and see her cousin, her older cousin, Elizabeth. Uh, John the Baptist's mum, who was also pregnant. And Elizabeth was so excited and so happy when she saw Mary. She started shouting. The Bible says she shouted praise to God. She'd been waiting for all her life for God to send her saviour. And finally, he was coming. And when Mary saw her cousin's excitement, she too sang a song of praise. Uh, And the song of praise went like this.
1: With all my heart, I praise the Lord. And I am glad because of God, my saviour. He cares for me, his humble servant. From now on all people will say, God has blessed me. God all powerful has done great things for me, and his name is holy. He will always he always shows me mercy to everyone who worships him. The Lord has used his powerful arm to scatter those who are proud. He drags strong rulers from their thrones and puts humble people in the places of power. God gives the hungry God, good things give God gives the hungry good things to eat and sends the rich away with nothing. He helps his servant Israel and is always merciful to his people. The Lord made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his family forever.
0: Cool. Thank you, Lily. You want to say thanks to Lily? Uh, cheers, Lily. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's from Luke chapter 1, uh, and it's a powerful song. You have to remember that Mary, the, the young woman who sang it, uh her family were poor. Their country had been taken over by the, by the Roman Empire, who were, were pretty bad. And they were being treated like slaves. They were having their land taken away. Uh, they were having their money taken away. And they could be thrown in jail, really, for, for no reason uh, if they didn't do what the Roman soldiers t- told them to do. And with that in mind, Mary's song is, is revolutionary. Listen again what she said. I've got a slide for this. Uh, she says this, The Lord has used his powerful arm... To scatter those who are proud. He drags strong rulers from their thrones and puts humble people in places of power. God gives the hungry good things to eat and sends the rich away empty handed. The Lord has scattered those who are proud. He drags strong rulers from their thrones and puts humble people in places of power. For someone under the oppressive regime of Rome, this is a, this is a big deal. This is revolutionary. And the coming of Mary's son which is actually God's son, uh, is signalling a time where God's going to turn all the evil in the world upside down, make everything better. The hungry will be fed. Evil people will be dealt with and sent away. Those who are treated mean, well, they're going to be safe and protected and loved. And this song, which is called the Magnificat, uh, it's so revolutionary that in in history, it's been uh, used to stand up against evil and oppressive regimes. In fact, this song has been banned from liturgy in churches and also public reading in India, Guatemala, Argentina and other places because when the government tries to oppress people, women get out on the street and sing this song and show how God has a bigger plan than totalitarian regimes and this song gets banned. You can't sing it in India or Guatemala because of this message. Jesus is king and one day he's going to destroy all evil power that gets in his way it's a song of hope and it was sung by a, by a teenage girl just like Lily uh, and so this is a song of hope but hope as you probably know as a Christian hope doesn't mean wishful thinking it doesn't mean like oh gee I hope that's going to happen one day no hope in the Bible means trusting that God's promises will come to pass and when you notice or when you read a song you notice that uh, she sings as though all these things have already happened uh, It's because Mary knows that when God promises something, it's as good as done. She has hope that God will one day sort out all the brokenness, all the evil in the world. I want to give you a moment right now. As you walked in, you would have got one of these, right? Uh, I want you to think of power in the world and how it's used for evil. There's plenty of examples out there, uh, if you're not living under a rock, about how power is used for evil uh, or for selfish gain all around the world, right? Uh, Think about how that evil use of power breaks God's heart. And I want you to pray. As you walked in today, you received one of these little love heart-shaped cards. It's from Baptist World Aid. We didn't use them last week. But on the back, it says, uh, my prayer of hope. I'm going to take some time right now to write your prayer of hope. Write your prayer of hope uh, for, for, for the way God is going to deal uh, with the evil and brokenness in this world. Uh, and then you can take it home and stick some cord through it, hang it on your Christmas tree or something like that. Take a couple of minutes. You can you can discuss it with your family around you. If you have kids here, you can chat with them about it. Uh, write your prayer of hope, like Mary's prayer of hope of God overthrowing all evil in the world. I'll be back with you in a moment. So that was the first story, story about Mary and her song of hope, the song of hope of uh, of, of this baby that was, that was growing in her tummy to come and overthrow all the evil and brokenness in the world. Uh, so now we're on to story number two. Story number two, and it's called An Act of Kindness. It's only a short one. It's only a short story, but it's an origin story. Who's into like Marvel and Star Wars and all those nerdy things? Anyone? Yeah, cool. I'm not. But, uh, but, uh, but I know heaps of people are, right? I, I like Love Actually. Clearly, I'm not a fan of um, Marvel movies. Uh, but in Marvel and Star Wars and even like the Batman series and that now, they're starting to um, do these things called origin stories. Right, where they'll look at the origin of either a hero or a villain and show you where they've come from. Right, So it might be like, everyone thinks Joker's really bad, but here's his backstory. And you're like, oh, poor Joker, I can understand why he's bad. Or why is Batman so like passionate about fighting bad guys? Well, it's because bad guys killed his parents. And uh, why is Luke Skywalker like this? yeah, you know, you've probably seen the movies. You know what I'm talking about. Origin stories, right? Thinking about where this person came from, where this hero, where this villain came from. Now, tonight we're looking uh, at an origin story of of this guy. Got a picture? Hopefully. There we go. Who's that guy? Santa. Origin story of Santa, right? We all know Santa. We're all excited about him visiting on Christmas. But we're going to hear, he's actually been around for a very, very long time. He has an origin story. Where's he come from? Well, Santa's origin story begins in the 3rd century. So that is 1,700 years ago. Uh, And there was a bishop in Greece, and and now we remember him as a guy called St. Nicholas of Myra. This guy, can you uh, flick that up for me, Dylan? Good, this guy, looks similar, right? Got a beard... Uh got like red and white robes on. I think he's also doing that thing where if you look at it, he'll punch you. I like that. Um, uh, Seriously, all the saints are savage. They're always doing that. Um, St. Nicholas of Myra. And this is, St. Nicholas of Myra is, this is where Santa Claus came from so many years ago. And I'm going to tell you a story about St. Nicholas of Myra. Actually, I've got one better for you. I'm going to get Santa Claus to come and tell you the uh, story of St. Nicholas of Myra. Santa Claus, can you please come and join us? Hi, Santa. Kieran. How would you know my name? I'm 1,700 years old. Cool, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any presents for us?
2: Oh, just the gift of knowledge.
0: (laughs) Okay, cool. I'm
2: running a bit cheap today.
0: All right. Well, Santa, can you please impart upon us the gift of knowledge and tell us your origin story, where you came from?
2: Hello, children. So let me tell you a story.
0: is it really that obvious? When
2: I was a young boy, I was very fortunate to inherit a lot of money. And with a lot of money, I had to decide what I wanted to do with it. Did I want to buy a house? Or a jet ski? I don't know. But for the most part, it was my choice. And when I chose, I chose to be generous. Because I love Jesus and he blessed me I wanted to bless others. Now, somehow this made me sort of famous, I guess. Now, around this time there was a family, and I loved this family very much. And this this father had three daughters, like Travis. But this, this this man, he was poor, and and he couldn't he couldn't look after his daughters who were going to be married. And back at that time, you had to give some money to the girls who was going to be married. So I thought, I'll do a trick. I got some money, and I put it into a purse. And then I snuck into their house. (laughs) And I threw it in the window. I threw it in the window, and then I ran away so nobody saw me and funnily enough i kept doing this and it made it was, it was a very very popular habit so from there i became very popular that's my story
0: does everyone say uh, thank you to santa thank you santa <laughs> it's interesting how someone's accent develops over 1700 years as well <laughs> Um, so that's I don't know if you've heard that story before about that this is Santa's origin story this is how Santa started out all those years ago as a rich guy who used his money to bless others and actually one version of that story says that as he dropped the presents in through the window the money in through the window it actually went into stockings that were hanging next to the fire to uh, to get dry after a cold winter's day and that's why that's why we hang stockings uh, not near our fireplace, it's a total fire ban, but uh, in our house, um, uh, for, for Santa to drop presents in, right? Um, the message of Christmas is God sending His Son into the world as the greatest gift. We know that, right? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And so when we understand this, if we're Christians and we understand the greatest gift ever, then we'll be more like Santa, like St. Nicholas, and we're going to be more generous. We're going to use any money we might have or any time we have or or any power we have for other people. Uh, we may not become famous and live for 1,700 years like Santa Claus has but it is our duty as Christians if we get that we've been given the biggest gift is to go and give gifts to others and to bless other people. Here's actually a real quote from Santa Claus. Uh, he said this. Can you flick it up for me please, Dylan? Uh, the giver of every good and perfect gift that's God has called upon us To mimic his giving by grace, through faith, and this is not of ourselves. If you understand Jesus, if you love him, uh, then he's calling on you to go out there and gift things to others, just like he did for us. Uh, And that's our challenge at Christmas. That's the second story, right? The second story uh, is an act of kindness. Now, third story. Third story is this. You can flick that off. Thanks, Over-the-top gifts. Over-the-top gifts. Who likes presents? Yeah? Cool? Yes, all the kids and everyone else is quiet. Good. Uh, you all like presents. Can I get... Can someone tell me, what's the best present you've ever received? This can be an adult or a kid. Best present. Wait till I point at you. Oh, Jesus. Well done. That is great. Uh, that's, just, that's the sermon done now. I don't need to say anymore. Thank you, Amy. What else? Now, we don't have to go as highbrow as that. You can, you can be consumerist if you want. What are some, what are some great gifts we've got? Jesus, again, well done. Um, yes, Imi? A ticket to my favorite author's show. Oh, a ticket to your favorite author's show to meet your favorite author? Very good. Am? Sorry? Bakugan. Oh, yes, cool. I think that's some um, Japanese game sort of thing. Excellent. Anyone else? What is, what's the best, grown ups as well, the best present you've ever got? Oh yes, see. All right, a gray, a grey Nichols cricket bat. How good is that? I remember getting a V five hundred for Christmas. That was that was good as well. Just like Mark Waugh, and I played nothing like him. Yes, Samuel. Snowboard. A what? Snowboard. Snowboard. Whoa, Jed. A jet ski. A jet ski. You got a jet ski? <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Someone's not following in the steps of Saint Nicholas. Um, okay. Jet ski. I I, I want to have a go. All right. Um, well, tonight's third story is about some pretty uh, generous gifts, some pretty impressive gifts that were given on the first Christmas. Uh, and I'm going to ask, I've got three helpers for this. Boys, it's your time to shine. Let's go. I've got, uh, I've got three helpers, and they're going to dress up for me. Please welcome uh, Emery, Quill, and Piper up to stage. So. Uh, I've got these guys. Come. Well, you actually, stand over here, boys. Stand over here. I'm going to give you each a present. Don't get excited. There's nothing in them. There you go. You get the big one, Quill. Good boy. All right. There you go, pipes. Thanks, mate. Does anyone want to have a guess who these guys are? Yeah? The three wise men. Yeah, the three wise men. We know them from the story of Jesus. Three wise men, three kings. Actually, in the Bible, they're just described as magi. Right? I'm going to read their story and these boys are going to show you what happened. Right, and This, this story comes from Matthew chapter 2. And it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. And so, as you'd imagine, if you want to find a king, you go to a palace. So they went to the palace and they asked Herod, uh, where is he? Where's this new king? Uh, They assumed that the king would be there, but he wasn't. Instead, they were told it would be in Bethlehem, which is this little town, a mini town, a nothing town, right? In the back of nowhere, small, insignificant town. And after they'd been told that by King Herod, they went on their way i going to go on your way, boys. Uh, and the star, yeah, keep going. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when, when they saw the star, uh, the Bible says they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Okay. Thank you. Does everyone want to give the boys a clap? Thanks, boys. Oh, cheers. Yeah. Now, clearly, we don't have the real baby Jesus here with us tonight, but that's a, that's a bit of a picture of what happened. These three kings, wise men, magi, These they might, actually, it was probably even more than three, right? But they were super rich. Uh, they were pretty important. They are from another country, and they've come a very, very long way to give gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about these presents for a moment. Uh, You might be looking forward to a jet ski for Christmas, right? You might be looking forward to uh, a gun or uh, a cricket bat or or whatever else it may be. Maybe you're looking forward to gold for Christmas. Uh, I wouldn't mind, so if anyone's anyone's up for it. Uh, But frankincense and myrrh. Unless your wife's into essential oils or something, you probably, probably won't get either of those. Um, but frankincense and myrrh, a little bit strange. But back in the ancient world, they were extravagant gifts. Obviously gold is, but all the gifts were extravagant. They were over the top. They were big money presents. Uh, but the gifts are more than just generous. They're symbolic. And this is what I want to end on tonight. Because they represent something bigger than what they actually are. Each of the gifts points towards an important part of who Jesus is. Gold. Can anyone guess, if they gave him gold, what's that tell us about Jesus? King. That's right. Jesus is a king. Uh, that's why he got gold. That's the easy one, right? But the next two are pretty tricky. Frankincense. Now, again, you probably don't know much about frankincense. If you walk into those Tree of Life or hippie stores, what you smell in there is often frankincense, right? Um, frankincense, that was used in the temple to worship God. And the smell of frankincense reminded you of the temple, reminded you of God. And so when they brought frankincense, which was a pretty expensive thing back in the day, to Jesus, it was symbolic. It was symbolic of this access to God. Because when Jesus came down to earth, when this little baby was in the manger, this was, this was like opening up a portal to God. This was God in human form right there for them. And so they gave him frankincense because he's God. He's divine. He's not just some little baby sitting on his mom's knee. He is the God, the king above all kings. And so they gave him frankincense, that smell that reminds them of access to God. But then there was myrrh. Myrrh, again, we have probably never seen it, never smelt it. But this is the one I want to focus on. Myrrh is a resin that's made from the sap of a particular tree. And it's used because of its smelling properties, but also as medicine sometimes as well. Uh, but But mostly it was used in the embalming of a dead body when someone died you didn 't want them to smell rub a bit of myrrh into them, and it just just brightens up the place a little bit right now and in fact, you see myrrh uh, used later you see it a few times in the bible but but if you want to look at the Gospels, the next time you see it in the Gospels is in John chapter nineteen. After Jesus has died, Nicodemus, uh, one of his newly converted followers, comes. Uh, To get Jesus' body with myrrh to embalm Jesus. He comes along with myrrh as he goes to lay Jesus in the tomb to embalm Jesus. The smell of myrrh was like the smell of death. Unusual gift to buy a baby. Uh, And this over the top gift was given by the wise men because it's pointing towards his destiny, his destiny to die. And right from the beginning of Jesus' story, we see that he's come for a reason. He's come to restore the world by bringing us back to God. And he does that through his death. He said it before, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not die, but have everlasting life. The message of Christmas is that we're far from God uh, because of our sin. And that's exactly why he came to earth as a baby in a manger. Not because he thought it would be a nice idea or it would be cute, or it would mean that in a few thousand years' time, people can have a big lunch and get presents. He came because it was absolutely necessary. Because of your sin and my sin, we can't be friends with God. And so God himself came in the form of a baby to bring us back to him. And he did this by living a perfect life, the life that we couldn't live, dying a horrible death, the death that we should have died, so that we could be forgiven. And that's what this myrrh is reminding us of, Jesus' destiny to die, to bring us into relationship with God. Uh, and this is going to lead us to communion, because if you fast forward 30 years, uh, the day before Nicodemus came with that myrrh to embalm Jesus' body, Jesus met and gathered with his disciples for the traditional Passover feast. Uh, this is the night before Jesus died. Uh, we celebrate this here once a month at Narrabeen Baptist Church, where we take bread, and we take juice, and we remember. Jesus takes the bread of the Passover feast and he breaks it. Uh, He says, this is my body. It's broken for you. Then he took a cup that was filled with wine and he passed it around. He said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. In other words, tomorrow, friends, I'm going to die to forgive your sins, to bring you to God and to start that revolution that my mum sang about when she first found out she was pregnant, where all evil will be done away with, the evil inside you and the evil outside you, and peace will reign. That's what Jesus' birth was all about, pointing towards that day where he would restore all things. And we're going to remember that now as we take communion. Now, communion is something that uh, is for those who trust in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus as your Saviour, if you've asked him for forgiveness and you've come to him as your King... Uh, then you can come and partake. Uh, it doesn't do anything magic. It doesn't make you loved by God more. Uh, it doesn't make anything fancy happen to you inside or outside, but it is simply a way of remembering Jesus' body that was broken because of our sin and Jesus' blood that was poured out because of our sin.